Alright, let's take a look. Alright, so we're Romans 11. Let's take a look with me. You see, it's only 24 verses. Don't be, don't be nervous. A lot of it's very simple. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna, I'll introduce this text to you. When I introduce the text to you, we're gonna read it. I like to introduce the text first so that you're familiar with it and you can give it a good hearing. You can listen to it intelligently. Uh, this text, uh, we are ending, those of you who are guests, uh, we are ending a, a series on worship in particular. And we've been going over the idea of worship, as many of you know, pretty, pretty uh, consistently. And so uh, with a series of worship, uh, springboarding off of John 4, we will return next week to John 4 and, uh, and resume our, our, our time in the, uh, in the Gospels. But today, I want to look at Romans 12.1, and this kind of caps off our study of worship. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've been fed by it. I feel like God has fed me. And I hope you can make the same kind of boast that you've been fed by God and not by just a man. And, uh, and so uh, I feel like he's been feeding us and teaching us and present with us in it. Now, uh, what I want to draw your attention as you look at it, you'll notice that it looks different. Doesn't it look different? We've been looking for so many weeks at poetry. Now we're in a completely different genre. The Bible has different kinds of literature, sometimes letters, sometimes histories, sometimes great poetry, sometimes just pure teaching, raw teaching. That's what this is. This is discourse. This is a rational, intellectual enterprise. And the writer, Paul, was one of the great minds of his day. And his, he is coming here in Romans 12. He is for 11 chapters. He has been building an argument about God's work in space and time. It's a huge argument of God's work in space and time to justify, to save, to do all these amazing things for people and help them and rescue them. And that whole book has been about that. And he comes to a crescendo. We're going to see it. He comes to a moment of doxological praise. What do I mean by this? He simply goes, wow. He gets caught up in a wow moment. And that's where we're going to begin. Oh, the depths of the riches of the... Anyway, we'll see that. So even as in genre, his discourse is a little unusual. Paul will find can't talk about God without getting kind of excited and getting kind of buoyant and ecstatic. But the next thing I want you to see, something else is going on here. You, there are two parts to your Bible. What's the, old, what's the first part called? The Old Testament. And what's the new part called? Or the second part called? The New Testament. Well, they're separated by 400 years, sometimes even thousands of years of history. What do they have to do with each other? How do they connect? And in this, masterfully in this, Paul draws a connection. And he says the ancients were engaged in ritual sacrifice over and over again. The abattoir of the, of the, of the temple was the, the actual slaughter of lambs and cows over and over and over and over and over again. And then burning them and offering them, burning sacrifices. And so Paul winds up saying here that those ancients who were sacrificing in the dusty land of Palestine in a temple... We're doing something very similar to what you keep doing now as a church. And that sacrifice and this attitude, this living sacrifice, this becomes how we are to worship. Uh, I can't, as we go at this text, I am going to fail today to touch even in a cursory way how beautiful and how much truth is in this text. This is a whole chapter of the Bible. But we're going to look at this especially 
Verse 1 and 2. That's where we're going to focus our time. My final point will be, this is a lot of application. That's one of the reasons why it's going to be easy to read, easy to understand. A lot of this is application. And you'll notice down here, verses 3 to 8 are, 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 are a section of action. Verses 9 through 13 are about the attitude. And verses 14 through 21 are adaptation in the world in conflict. But there's a structure, my point is. So we go from, we'll begin, I'll speed, start reading, let's go. Let's just jump in. I don't think there's anything else I wanted to say about the text. Was there? Let's take a look here. Thank you, Father, for the worship of Mission Ecclesia. No, let him clap. We allowed to pray that? Are we allowed to? All right. All right, let's turn our attention to this. Uh, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. <laughs> how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? <laughs> or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? <laughs> For from him and, and through him and, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then chapter 11 right there. Bam. And let's listen to this application. I appeal to you therefore brothers. By the mercies of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and by testing that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of you, he more highly than he ought to think. For everyone among you, not to think more highly, and, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith. That God has assigned for, when, for as in one body, there are many members, parts, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, <laughs> having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith and service in our serving. The, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdoing one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Uh, repay no one for evil, for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. 
For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, bless this reading, bless this preaching, bless this hearing. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, you are in fact a worshiper. <laughs> That's kind of obvious, you're sitting there, aren't you? You were a worshiper when you got up this morning, though. You were worshiping yesterday. You were worshiping last Monday. I'll warrant you were worshiping last year. I know you were worshiping when you were a kid. I know you were worshiping on the playground. Do you know why I know that? Because you're a natural-born worshiper. You cannot help it. You're going to worship something. And that's just the way... It is. One of the things I want to talk about with worship today is an excitement that I get about how we can harness that truth. We can mine that truth that every one of us is a worshiper himself. We can mine that and look into that reality and find things that will change our lives and change the way we think. Because the worship of God changes us. And the worship, worship of God unleashes love in the world. The worship of God changes those who do it. It is based on a simple assumption. All of this worship and everything we're talking about, everything we do here, is based on a very simple assumption. And that is, whatever you worship, or the value of what you become like it. The way we put it, I put it like Henry School. By the way, uh, The Life of God and the Soul of Man. That's the name of that classic by Henry School. The Life of God and the Soul of Man. Write it down if you want a great book to read. He says the value of the soul is determined by the object of its affections. And I changed that. The value of your soul is determined by what you worship. It's a reciprocity, reciprocity. And as you worship, as you focus, as you, you become like what you, you become like what you look at. You become like it. You are transformed into it. Whatever it is. And I was reminded of that how peculiarly this is taking hold in the Korean imagination, in particular in the K-pop world, where people bring pictures of the people they want to look like. What do we call those pop superstars? What do we call the American idol? We have took, we put in our language, as if we almost kind of coyly admitting it, that we know we worship. <laughs> because we created the American idol. We create idols. And we're unashamed to say that we want to be that idol, like that idol, feed that idol, listen to that, whatever it says. And in a, in, a, in a striking way, when these plastic surgeons are presented with pictures, I want to look like so-and-so, the K-pop superstar. What are they doing? The value of their soul, they're determining it by what they worship because they will become like what they worship. And this is where the worship of God is so exciting to bring to you because you will be changed into something far more beautiful than any K-pop superstar. And they're quite beautiful. <laughs> like far more beautiful. Because you will become like God in all of his love. Oh, and that's, this text is a masterpiece. Because he sets before us his wonder at sacrificial love. Then, as he's wondering in amazement at God's sacrificing love, he becomes himself wants to feel that. And what does he do? He's, 
he becomes sacrificially loving with everyone. And what's he doing? It's all worship. <laughs> this is really amazing. All right, let's begin here. What, where does true worship come from? And he's telling you, God creates what he seeks. Remember, of him and through him and to him are all things. And this fundamental reality that Peter was praying about, it, oh, look, if you want worship in this church, then you better be praying for it. And if you want me to worship, then you better be praying for me. And if I am not praying for you, then I'm sinning against you and against God. We can only be a church of worship if we begin and end and seek it through the worship itself of him and through him and to him and saying to God, we could be honored. Second, we must meditate then on this God. And when meditation is a mindful, it's a Eastern meditation. I was raised in a Buddhist house and transcendental meditation was one of the practices of my parents. Transcendental meditation teaches that the way that Peter will finally transcend this world in suffering is when Peter stops being Peter. Peter's problem is, is being Peter. And all of our problems are us being people. And Eastern philosophy is horrifying what it says next. You are, you are imaginary. And your suffering is imaginary. And if you could just get your mind empty enough, you'll stop imagining you're somebody. That is Eastern thought. And it's digested in the Buddhist it is in its most clearest form. But in meditation in the scripture, it's not that. It is filling the mind. It is actually taking your mind and putting it. We did it today. I want you to watch this. This is really cool. We did this today. And we sang it. What did we sing earlier? Why? Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us. Forever, forever, forever God is faithful. Forever. What are we doing right there? We are medit. This is why you take this home and read it again later and sing it again later. Why? Because what you focus and worship on is going to change you. It's going to change you into somebody new. And that true worship comes from a meditating upon God. First of all, what's his quality? What kind of person is he? What kind of love does he have? This is what we looked at last week. God's love is of the luxurious kind. Oh yeah. He pays an exorbitant price for what he does not need. He pays an outrageous price for something he has no need of. You. That's called luxury. That's a love that luxuriates in its sovereign expression and chase. Nothing like this in the world. Nothing like this in any religion. Because there's nothing like my God. There is nobody like my God. You hear me? Praise him. There's nobody like this. For of him and through him and to him are all things. His quality is of a luxurious sovereignty of love. Quantity. Ask the question, how much? No limits. And we are drawn in 91 billion light years across the universe extends. And that's all we can see or reckon. It might be bigger. 14 billion years old. And yet, it is a speck next to his love. It's nothing. It could all pass away. His love is greater. His love for me is greater than that. So I look at scale. I look at scale. And I'm drawn into the drama and marvel and contrast of worship. Why would he love me? When I learned that the universe is 91 billion, year, billion light years across, 
first thing it tells me is, I don't matter. You're insignificant. Seriously, if you don't believe in God, why are you alive? Why do you cry? Why do you keep going? I don't know how you do it. Hats off to you. Because it's a hard road. But I believe that the expanse of the universe was a clue to just beginning to see how great his love is for me. If we get drawn into this prayer, into this love, we're going to get drawn into what does true worship look like. I'll tell you what true worship looks like. (laughs) It's nails in the hand. For him, that's, oh, the son worships the father. It's bizarre. I'm telling you, there's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful love pounding in the Trinity and extending out into this reality truth in our universe right now. What does true worship look like? You know, we say to Jesus, I, I'm kind of re- I'm reversing this, aren't I? What does true worship look like? Let me begin first with Christ himself. And what are we saying to Jesus? You do you. He loves sacrifice, sacrificially. He loves sacrificially. He, and that's how we know him. I wrote something today. Sometimes I write these things out in... Look, my greatest purpose here is if any of you don't really know God inside, that you will today know him because I'm talking. And I think that's a crazy idea of mine. But I still believe it because I believe in God, not in me. And I, sometimes when I want to appeal to people to give their lives to Jesus, I will sometimes write it out carefully because I so want to be able to express. I need to put my glasses on because I want to express this eternal love looks like this. Before the Big Bang, God is love. And his love has no beginning and has no end. He therefore sent his son as God become man to rescue those he loves. But they hated him and tortured and killed the son. But in their terrible evil crime, they actually created the sacrifice that would save them from their ruin and sin. Because Jesus was a man, he could die and did. But because Jesus was also God, he rose from death and he lives forever. Faith in him today and what he did in his, in his love on the cross will save you here. In Jesus' world, staring is not rude. That love is what we're called to stare at. Have you ever seen Big Bang Theory? I happen to like the show a lot. It scratches an inch in me. Because I get the jokes and stuff. But there's this, there's this really cool scene uh, where, where, uh, where uh, Sidney, uh, Sheldon, and um, what's his roommate's name again? Okay, Leonard. Leonard, thank you. Leonard and Sheldon are going to work on their physics problem. You know what? You ever seen this? It's really funny. They start. We're going to get to work, and then this is what they do. And then there's this, there's this song playing in the background, like it's like they're like they're doing something really, and they're just standing, and they're just staring at the blackboard, and that's how they do their work. Come, praise him. Come into his work. And gaze upon what this love meant and means today. It's a marvel that God loves people like us. 
And it's a marvel that he chases. It's a marvel that in his boundless infinity, he cares what Dylan has for lunch today and whether Peter's feelings are hurt and whether you have eternal life. <laughs> Praise him. Praise him. Praise him with loudest praise. What does true worship actually do then? You know, we think this is worship right here. We're going to sit together and praise, and, and we do this. Maybe, maybe you think our praise and worship is boring because we're not loud enough or we don't dance enough. I loved Evie and Elizabeth. They were dancing. I love that. I was tempted to join them, but I'm thinking, what would everybody think of me? Uh, what does true worship actually do? Well, what I saw in the girls today is the overflowing stream. Do you know this man was out worshiping on Mission Street on Wednesday? Do you know why? An overflowing stream. What happens in this text is we are told by the mercies of God in that verse, by the view of the mercies of God, that's what I've been trying to get you to do, is get a view, this is supposed to be a view, what, of the mercies of God. In light of this view of the mercies of God, what does he urge us to do then? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's the overflow. You see, if you think this is worship and this is it, and you're going to be done with worship when you leave, I'm sorry to tell you, you have not begun to worship yet then. Because this was just the beginning, and then you're supposed to go out the door and love on me and love on Peter and love on people out there. And and worship was supposed to continue to Monday morning, which is really disappointing because I hate Monday mornings. And there's no worship on a Monday morning. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. There ought to be. Because what happens here is that doxology equals application. Don't you know that if you don't praise God, you don't know him. And if your praise doesn't result in love, you doubly don't know him. <laughs> you doubly, because you think you do and you don't. <laughs> you imagine in your imagination that your theological articulations had something to do with an infinite love, and they really don't. <laughs> they may describe it, but they don't create it. And, and, so, and so all sorts of things are happening here. And this is where worship now is unleashed. You see, look at the first section. Look at the first section. You see, these three applicable sections are describing what worship is now. What does worship look like amongst these people? What are they like? They are sacrificially loving each other. How do they do that? The first way they do it is by action. And by filling out all the parts. In other words, let me say back here. All right. I just want to check these real quick. Yeah, they're still mostly empty. There's sign-up sheets back there. Look, some of you are really, really busy with a lot of work in the church. I get it. I still think those sign-up sheets should have more names on them. You know why? Because you should be in the midst of sacrificial love... Now, offer yourself in service for whatever that service is. One to, and you belong to me, and I belong to you. Here, that's for one another. You belong to me, Caleb. I belong to you. Your love, your sacrifice was supposed to be for me, Dusty. And my sacrifice was supposed to be for you, Frankie. That is the way that we are supposed to be filling up and filling up worship. You see, we are all, we're, we're kind of doing the cheap thing that's mentioned in that passage in Malachi. We're doing the cheap thing. I get in, I feel good. Boy, that was a good sermon. Feel good. I'm gonna get out there. I'm really gonna live life now. I'm happy. And then, and then we proceed to never think about it again for the rest of the week. How many of you have done that? Everybody's hand better go. Yeah, we've all done it because we've compartmentalized. We have let our religion sit in the corner of our life, and now we are learning here today that a reasonable act of worship is loving surrender of your time. 
Do you know what? You know why I think we don't have the sign-up sheets? It's because you're all protecting your schedules. I get it. You're all protecting your level of commitment. I do it. But sacrifice doesn't really think of... All right. One of them is kind of funny if you think about it, too. It's so inherent in this system. We, there, one of the words for the church is called the body of Christ. Well, don't you think that Christ's body would go and do the very things that Christ does? And what does Christ do with his body? He gave it up for you. Why are you protecting your schedules against his people? You see, you see the illogic in there? Sacrificial love is a result of this worship. And you, when you get a hold of this worship and its wonder and its amazement and its contrast, hits your imagination, your logic, your mind, your skull, whatever it is you're thinking, you begin to act differently. What's the second is attitude. <laughs> oh, you see, I can't even get in there. You notice the one verse that says practice hospitality? That's actually a gerund. And the idea is it's like it's like aggressive hospitality. It's called hospitality. If you could talk hospitality into an in word, it would be hospitality. There's this aggression outdoing each other. It's almost like, can you imagine this? In the second section of attitude, one of the first problems we're gonna have with the church is we just get irritated with each other, right? We just get irritated with each other. And annoyed. People let us down. People don't show up. People don't do this. People don't care. <sighs> How are we going to get through this? Making it a competition. <laughs> Who can love one another more? Anybody game? Anybody want to beat me at this game? Anybody? This is the game. This is how the body of Christ would act, wouldn't it? Because it's how his body was. So it's a, a, a worship creates action. And it creates movement and necessity. It must. Otherwise, it's not authentic. Second thing is it creates a new attitude of, of, of daring love. Of a daring love for each other, right? It's outdoing each other in honor. And then finally, what's the final section? It's, an, it's a love for those outside who are doing evil. Overcome evil with good. Bless those who persecute you. Weep, weep with those who rejoice. And there's this final idea. Would you think that worship would finally be the guy to how to live in San Francisco. Who's thought, I'm kind of amazed by this guy. I'm kind of excited about it as I'm like getting these ideas in my head because this is not very Presbyterian. Worship is something you regulate in Presbyterian churches. Worship is something you control. Worship is something you do on a Sunday. Worship is something that we perform. I'm saying those are all beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Weren't you blessed today by all that worship music? But all that was was to set up for you and set up and send you to do what? To keep, keep worshiping. <laughs> and then to worship in how you love people who hate you. Because the body of Christ acts like his real body. And what did his real body do when they beat him and hurt him? He blessed them. Forgive them. For they know not what they do. Really? What didn't they know? They didn't know how to whip people? They didn't know how to crucify people? They didn't know he was innocent? Yes, they did. They didn't know that they were sacrificing the Lamb of God who would be their rescue. Don't you realize there are people who killed him who are going to be in heaven, who physically killed him and are going to be in glory because that sacrificial love that he has where he loves those who hate him, loves those who run, loves, chases us. And then it sets the tone for us, doesn't it? This is how we love. 
<laughs> I get so excited about this. I, I had a, I'm going to close with this illustration. <sighs> um, what, I wanted to close with something that was kind of exciting to me. I don't know. Who cares? All right. Um, I think, I guess I want to return to back up to the value of your soul is determined by what you worship. We're all worshipers of something. Something happens here. I guess this is what I'm hoping for. Because it's already happening. It's already happening. It's already happening. Do you know what my real response is to Peter and his community group going out and praising on the street and worshiping on the street and ministering on the street in this city? There's no other church that I know a lot, well, especially in our tradition, is doing this. We are inviting the world to walk up. If they get to know us, if they come in here and they get to know us and they get to know our Savior, that somebody, someday, Somebody someday. I know you live in San Jose, but come on. You guys are an hour and a half late. They're old members of the church. They're old friends. <laughs> um, uh, but is, is it, we'll make sure we, we'll say hi to them. <laughs> Sal and Esther. I forgot where I was. Oh, 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 oh. Go back to the text. Go back to the text. This is why somebody someday will say this when they look at Miguel or they look at Katie or they look at our, relation, our, our, our church. And this is what I hope they will say. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord to be his counselor? Who has ever given him a gift that he would be repaid? Oh, my God. Those people are alive. I want to praise God with them. That's my hope. You see, Jesus calls us and drives us and compels us to worship. And I'm praying that we compel others. And God creates worship in this city through us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, how we glorify your name. Of you and to you and through you are all things. Oh, Father, change our attitudes so it's like Christ. Change them. Give us, make us people of action. Make us a people who adapt in, our, in, our, in, in this wonderful, subversive love of loving people who hate us. <laughs> and Father, I, I, I pray that we would become this, this thing that would bring you so much praise. I pray that we'd become a church that would, I pray that each person here would become a believer in you in a way that brings you much praise. So the people are constantly crying out, wow, how amazing is that God? Praise him. I want to thank you for your word today and for just being time in this text, our our summer of worship and, and the way you fed us. And we pray for more, more worship. Yes, Father, more worship. For that's what you're seeking in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it 
saying, this is my body, which is for you, take and eat. And in a similar way, he also took a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins, take and drink. <laughs> Study in contrast, right? 91 billion light years across. All the majesty of God's eternal love for you and me. Study in contrast, huh? It's amazing. All right. Um, spilling here. Um, okay. This table had, comes with some warnings and some invitations. The invitation that this table has, you may have heard before. If you are a sinner and your faith is in Jesus and his death on the cross, then this is your table. And you get to come up, take the bread, take the wine, take it back to your seat, and after we're done, we'll eat and drink it. And thereby say, hey, this is ours. But there's a second group that I, I need to forbid. So I might need to forbid you to come to the table. And I want you to hear this. I may need to forbid you to come to the table. Because the table is forbidden to any, any woman or any man who thinks they're a good person. Good people are unworthy of our Father's table. Only sinners come to this table. Finally, if you are a skeptic and you think the idea of sin and morality are nonsense, well, let's talk later about that. And I would love to engage you uh, and your, your unbelief. After worship today, we're going to have a time. Uh, the Sunday school is going to meet. Uh, Sunday school teachers are going to meet. And I'll be available for any questions. If you have any questions about the message or anything like that, I'll be available to talk and, uh, and, uh, and visit with you. Is there any, any place for lunch to be picked out? Anybody have a lunch? Cornetta? All right, Cornetta. Worship will continue at Cornetta. All right, let's stand. Brother and sister, Christian, tell me, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.